Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. What a beautiful day out. You know, these fall days are why we live in Colorado. This gets, you know, I find myself saying this every season, but it's one of my favorite times of the year. But fall really is. We're going to talk. We're going to talk a good amount of fishing today. We're going to talk a good amount of hunting today. We're going to have some elk hunting, some waterfowl hunting. We're going to cover. Uh, and then in the second hour, Steve Panaz, Hall of Fame legendary angler, the host of Lake Commandos Television, is going to join us. We're going to talk about some of the new uh, offerings from Berkeley. They came out with a ton of hard, soft baits, line, everything. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of those and how they might fit into your fishing arsenal. So we've got a full, full show for you today. Before we get started, I do want to say, um, we're going to send our thoughts out to the people in the Carolinas and that area, and hopefully the devastation from the flooding won't be as bad. I mean, that I've been watching that on following it on the news, and I think we're we haven't seen the worst of it yet. The the storm itself is now just a tropical storm, but the rain is going to dump in those mountains, and with how saturated things are, that could still get very very bad out there. So we want to you know give our thoughts and wish them the best, and hopefully that we don't have any more tragedies out there. There's already been a, a few deaths. By the way, when you know if you follow the show, follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. If you follow Terry Wickstrom Out- Outdoors, you would know that Steve Panaz is going to be on this week. You would see a um, podcast of my interview with Al Linder from last week that's already on Facebook. There's always a link to my po- my column in the Denver Post on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And by the way, my column this last week was on the slow death rig for walleyes. And any of you who are into walleye trolling, you, you fish a lot of walleyes, you want to take a look at that if you're not using slow death already. I was a slow adopter of it, so I've got to say that it took me a while to start believing in it, but it really is a great, great uh, presentation. Let's go to the phones now. And speaking of fishing, joining us from Discount Tackle is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. It's uh, oh, it's just a gorgeous day. What are you and I doing inside? I know we're, you know, it's, it's it feels like you know a little touch of summer still today, but uh, you know, up in the hills with the chilly temperatures, we're starting to see the effects of fall already taking place on the fishing. You know, even some of the Front Range lakes because. The nights are, you know, the dark period is so much longer. The apex, the angle of the sun is so much lower. The water is actually cooling already. Definitely, even it is. Though, even though we get these days, and we're getting into some fall fishing. We're going to talk a little bit about the fishing itself, but I think before we even get started, we should touch on the water levels. You know, we're here in lakes like Blue Mesa down to 38 39%. We're hearing, what are you hearing around? Uh, anything that really jumps out that you think people want to be aware of? You know, we're fortunate to start with on the front range that, you know, we're able to, to keep a little bit of higher water levels when it comes to, 
you know, uh, city type, um, you know, supplies. But, uh, you know, out on the Eastern Plains, anyone heading out there, Jackson Lake has been really low. Sterling's holding enough water for boating, but definitely on the, on the downswing as far as water levels are concerned. Same thing is concerned with Jumbo. But then as you head up into the mountains, we're starting to see water levels really drop. As you mentioned, Blue Mesa is at historic lows to the point where folks are even being encouraged to pull boats, the larger boats, out of the marina area. Um, but then also places like Wolford and Green Mountain are both dropping really fast. You know, still good good fishing to be you know to be had out there. But in general, the water levels are going down. And anyone heading out to any of those lakes, I highly encourage to either look at you know the Colorado Division of Water Resources to see what the current water levels are, or you know give a call to the governing body of each one of those reservoirs. Yeah, if you're going to make a drive, I would certainly. If, if you're fishing from shore, you're probably going to be okay. But if you're going to be pulling a boat anywhere that's more than just a half hour from your house, I would call ahead and make sure the boat ramps are open. Now, we're fortunate Chatfield. Chatfield's kind of a weird situation, partially shut down. But I think we'll have boating there for a while yet. The Cherry Creek is still good. I'm understanding Pueblo is doing quite well, and they won't close the boat ramp down there. So we got a lot, but they just need to be cautious. But that being said, there is a lot of great fishing going on. What are you hearing out there? You know, metro bodies of water have remained really consistent. You and I touched on it a while back that that late summer period can be some of your most consistent fishing on the entire year, and we're certainly still experiencing that. So we're starting to see a few fish transition, but still in general, um, you know, your your reactionary bites have been good. The blade baits, such as the thin fishers, and, you know, even some stuff from hutch tackle has been really, really productive as of late, even a bit more so than the glide baits like a jigging wrap. But up shallow in, in your in the early mornings, we've been throwing those blade baits and yo-yoing them back. So let, basically letting them hit the bottom, ripping them up and letting them fall, ripping them up, letting them fall. And, you know, in all these lakes, whether we're talking about Pueblo or Chatfield or Cherry Creek in particular, you know, the, the same bite has been holding pretty strong. Now, the one key characteristic that we're seeing is the fact that you have to adjust your technique on each given day. Some days they want that blade to be ripped really hard. Other days you want to slow it down a little bit and really just kind of crawl it along on the bottom but you know just experimenting with your retrieves can be crucial now as you move toward a little bit later in the day the trolling bite really starts to take off so we've been experimenting with some of the new jointed flicker shads from berkeley those guys have been uh, you know pretty productive as of late as well as some of your standard flicker shads and things like salmo hornets but trolling them behind planer boards up higher in the water column over the deeper water is still working. Those those walleyes are, are following those bait schools, uh, you know, pretty strongly. You know, when you mentioned uh, trolling the flicker shad, Berkeley hit a home run with that lure because you know I, the, I, I fished for years with shad wraps and they're a great bait, but they cost about three four dollars more than the flicker shad. The average angler can afford to have a few more baits in his tackle box, and they work. Absolutely, they do. They run true. They catch fish, and I wind up, you know, utilizing them very consistently throughout the season. And you know why I really believe that this blade bait bite is on right now, because anytime that's that type of a bite, and you're not fishing uh, a Johnny Darter or a jigging wrap, then I know that there's something else that's really producing. <laughs> I'll tell you, if you're not fishing a jigging wrap and Chad Lachance isn't fishing 
a um, jerk bait, then I know that something else is really on fire. <laughs> and you guys are both accomplished anglers with lots of. But speaking of other things, you know, I mentioned that my uh, article in the Denver Post this week, which you can find a link to on my my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, was on a slow death rig. Do you use that much? I will in the earlier time of the year. So when we have the, the good bait bite going in that May, June, and early July time and the fish are really keyed in on structure, I will certainly utilize that. And a lot of times I'll, I'll use you know one client's rod on, on a, a slow death type rig and then the other one on more of a leech style rig and figure out what, what's working. Now the other thing that I've also done with a lot of success to catch a few larger fish during that time of year, you know, kind of getting into more of your keeper class fish, is going with a bit heavier bouncer rather than a Lindy rig, and then putting a slow death with one of the pinched crawlers from Gulp. And then you'll speed up your, your speed a little bit when you're actually trolling. So instead of going down to about that you know, 0.5 to 0.7 type range, we'll go up to 1.2 or 1.3, and we were really experiencing larger fish during that time frame. You know, I think, I, and I agree that it's more of a live when the bait is going, although that spinning night crawler seems to even imitate a bait fish when it's going through the water. They're starting to troll them up in the water column a little bit now, but at slow speeds about a mile an hour than you would a crankbait but i would think some of the lakes now the shad based lakes right now the shad you said are still shallow so if the fish are underneath those and they're up higher in the water column a lot of times you can't even see them on your electronics but lakes like um aurora reservoir and maybe even horse tooth where the sh- there's the horse tooth has some shad but it has really diverse forage i think but there's some good perch in both those lakes I think that it might still work uh, as a fall bite right now on the structure because your forage is different. Especially out at Aurora because you can not only catch your walleyes, but in, you know, you'll have some perch that will come on and even some trout. I know a couple of folks that, that utilize that technique all the time out there in some of that deeper water and catch some really high-quality trout on the slow death along with walleyes. Yeah, and I'll admit, when if you read the article off my Facebook page from the Denver Post, I was a slow adopter, of, I, and I used to fish a lot of bottom bounce with spinner rigs and nightcrawler harnesses, and I still do at times. Uh, the slow death has made a believer out of me, and, you know, it's like everything else. It's not the magic, but it's got its place, and it does work. Let's switch gears a little bit, Austin. Oh, by the way, do you sell the slow death hooks at your store? Absolutely. I have a, a wide variety, the slow death as well as the super death for more of the soft plastics. All right. So what about what are you hearing about, like, trout and kokanee this time of year, up in the hills maybe? One of my favorite times of year to head up to the mountains. You know, we have this great walleye bite that happens down here in town, and it always kind of pushes me back and forth because I want to go duck hunting one day and trout fishing the other and walleyes the next. But it's a nice time of year for it. But Lake John's one of my favorites this time of year, and it's really starting to pick up quite well. Been catching a lot of nice fish up there from what I've been hearing. Uh, guys have been, you know, throwing a lot of tube jigs up there, and even the streamer bite on the fly fishing side of things has been fantastic up there. Now, shifting down towards South Park a bit, Antero's fishing you know the same way along with spinny a lot of your tube jigs along the edges of your weeds and then mixing in uh you know a few of your your bigger spoons up on top you know your tasmanian devil type lures have been really productive up there and then the kokanees are starting to kick off in a big way we're starting to see a lot of fish turning not really moving up really shallow as of yet but guys are really starting to catch a lot of fish vertical jigging and have been for a couple of weeks the blue mesa bite's been going on for the longest and i have been hearing some fish move up into the gunnison river up there but at places like Wolford and at 11 Mile, guys are really finding a lot of fish stacked up and vertical jigging to the 
them utilizing crippled herrings up there, as well as, you know, some laser minnows from P-Line, more your pinks, but also some kind of glow green have been working well. And we're starting, I mean, in just the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a lot of fish that are going to be turning pretty red and moving pretty shallow. Well, you know, when they move shallow like that, you can use still lures like spoons and jigs. I love when they move up shallow, too. If you want to take a kid out, put a small, like an ice fishing jig, and put a just a little a piece of a maggot or corn or something on the bottom of it, a nice pink head on it, and throw it out under a slip bobber or a bobber, and they'll take that quite readily yet. And, boy, you, it's to me, it's so much more fun than snagging. Oh, it really is, and, and it can be equally, if not more, productive. And the cool part that I like about the slip bobber is you can get almost an ice fishing presentation with that. You can cast it out there and give it light little jigs and almost jig it in place. And you can really have those kokanees react to that. And, you know, a lot of times, we'll, you know, you can put your slip bobber out on, on one rod and then maybe put a little small jerk bait. Um, you know, brighter colored suspending jerk bait can be really good, and the fish will jump all over that kind of stuff as well. Oh, you're absolutely right. If I can catch the kokanee on a conventional or a fly rod, uh, I'd rather do that. It's just so much fun, and they fight like crazy. And while you're doing that, you're liable to hook a rainbow or a brown, depending on the water you're in. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing on the fly side of things we've had a lot of success with over the years is pink and chartreuse clouser minnows. You know, the pinks are hard to come by as far as purchasing them in store. I do a lot of my own tying with that. But kokanees really do react to those clouser minnows quite well. No, you're absolutely right. Hey, I got a comment, too. You said you like you, you go between duck hunting and fishing, and you head up to North Park. The next segment after you is actually going to be about waterfall hunting in North Park. There you go. Because there, there are tons of opportunities up there. We're going to go through the whole uh, uh, Parks and Wildlife is going to come on and talk about. There's, they have a huge, not only variety of species, but variety of areas and different ways to hunt. I don't know if you've ever hunted up there. but I have not. A lot of my stuff, you know, I, I focus in on the southeast part of the state. And, uh, you know, lots of public access down there, and that can also be really productive. Well, you're going to have to listen to the next segment. Then next time you go fishing in North Park, bring your shotgun with. There you go. You know, it's that time of the year, too, where guys do bring a shotgun with. Another thing I tell people, too, is, you know, if depending on what season you're going to be hunting elk, you need to be scouting, and I'm sure Nate's going to talk about that. But there's nothing wrong with taking a fly rod with you or a small spinning rod when you go up in the mountains to look for do your elk scouting. It makes the whole day more pleasurable, and you can still get a lot of scouting in. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so much good small streams that are still able to be fished, you know, even right in the same areas that some folks might be elk scouting. You know, you go up early morning and, and play around with, you know, actually trying to find your elk up there. And then as the, the day progresses a bit and, you know, the elk might bed down, go down and, and throw a few dry droppers still in, in some of your small streams. That has been very, very productive as of late. And we'll still continue to be, although we're starting to get a little cooler temperatures, the, uh, the dry dropper fishing is still one of my favorite ways to fish up, up in those small streams. You can catch a lot of fish doing it yeah if you were going to go give us if you were going to go fishing on the front range or up in the mountains give us a couple places you'd go and we got some good weather in the next couple days Large front range, Pueblo has been fishing quite well, you know, a little bit further south, obviously, but the smallmouth bass bite has been fantastic down there, and the walleyes are starting to really pick up on your jigging spoons, and the trolling bite has still been good. Cherry Creek's always going to be one of my top top picks this time of year, doing basically the same stuff we, we talked about earlier with the high trolling later in the day and then the jigging wraps and blades. 
um, you know, shower in, in the early morning. And as far as up in the mountains, um, you know, Antero would be a really good spot to head out to right now. I mean, the, the fishing has been fantastic. And the other cool part about the South Park region is that you have a lot of nice, yeah, small stream access down there as well. Not a whole lot of spawning fish running as of yet. We're starting to see a few that are pushing out of some of these lakes, but that whole area down there is fantastic on both the fly fishing and the conventional fishing, and it gives you a lot of opportunities. All right, we've got to let you go, but I tell you what, um, tell people where you're located. You also guide a lot of these waters, and tell them where they could stop by and get more information from you. Absolutely. So I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're at 2645 South Santa Fe Drive, and that's six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, my friend, good information as always. And once again, I want to repeat, check the water levels if you're heading out before you go, especially up in the mountains, because uh, this is one of those years when something you didn't expect to be down can really be down. Shore fishing, you should be all right, but if you're going to pull your boat somewhere, check them, check to make sure the boat ramps are open. Oh, and by the way, along with that, I'm going to probably get Bernie Keefe on next week or two. They're, they're actually going to keep the gates open at Granby. They weren't going to originally through that, that October bite. Well, so, that's a good good thing to hear. We were worried about that. Yeah, and so he's going to update us on that when he gets back from Cabo. The... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Austin. Thank you so much for having me, Terry. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Sandy Clef here to tell you about SCL Mortgage Special Circumstance Lending, locally owned and operated. And if you're self-employed or work on commission, this is the place for you. Bank statement loans are back. You don't need tax returns to do your loan. In some cases, the bank statement loans can be done with credit scores in the low 600s. MySpecialMortgage.com on the web, 303-790-2222. The phone number, SCL Mortgage, licensed by the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies, number 126. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're going right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Josh Dilley. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. And I you probably didn't get to listen to the first segment, but um, it was kind of timely because we had Austin Parr on, who's an avid outdoorsman, and he said he always has trouble deciding whether to take his fishing rod or his shotgun, and one of his favorite places is North Park. I said, well, Austin, don't you take both when you go up there? He goes, well, I haven't hunted waterfall up there. I said, well, you got to pay attention because there's some great opportunities, and you and I chatted about it uh, earlier in the week, and really it is one of the premier waterfall areas in the state, isn't it? You know, Terry, it really is. Um, we produce, second only to the San Luis Valley, the most uh, ducks in the state. We have a lot of a lot of breeding pairs up here in the summertime, and there's just some fantastic waterfowl opportunities early. And a lot of public land to do it on, I understand. Is that right? There really is. So we've got um, several state wildlife areas up here, the Lake John State Wildlife Area and the Lake John Annex. Uh, the Richard State Wildlife Area, which lies adjacent to Lake John, and then the Diamond J State Wildlife Area, which is about 10 miles of the Michigan River uh, north of town. It's it's a private property lease that we have, um, and we have at least for fishing and waterfowl access. Now, is there is there a, anywhere online or a map that people can go and look at some of these areas? You know, there there is. If you go to the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website, and click on things to do, and 
and go to our Colorado Hunting Atlas, all of these these state wildlife areas will pop up. And, and it's an interactive program where you can look at different map layers. You can look at uh, land ownership layers. You can pull up aerial photos of the area. And you can also just call our office here in Walden, um, and, and we'll be more than happy to visit with you on ideas. Now, you also get a tremendous variety of species of waterfall up there, not so much the geese, but the, the ducks, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But let's talk a little bit about the type of hunting and what what is available there first. You mentioned the numbers of properties, but you also have a variety of ways to hunt. Now, none of the properties up there, I believe, are on the reservation system. Is that right? So it's first come, first serve? That is correct, yep. So it's first come, first serve. There's no reservations taken. Um there's a lot of a lot of opportunities on big waters, like we talked about before, uh, Lake John. There's Walden Reservoir just west of of the town of Walden. Um, there's several ponds down south on the Arapaho National Wildlife Refuge in Unit B that are accessible and can be hunted. Uh, a lot of ponds on the BLM lands around Walden that can be hunted, and then there's a lot of opportunities on the rivers as well for. Um, either decoying or jump shooting. Now, so, when you come up there, um, if you're going to set decoys, obviously you're going to have to have a boat or at least if, can you set some of them just with waders? You can. Yeah. A lot of our, a, a lot of our rivers are shallow enough right now that you can get out in, in either hip or chest waders and get your decoy set in some backwater. And, and a lot of our reservoirs, um, they're shallow enough right along the edges that you can wade out with with just uh you know hip waders or chest waders and set decoys you'll probably need a dog or or another way to retrieve birds if you're hunting those bigger waters though and that's always the case because we don't want to have wounded or even killed birds floating around the water we want to collect those and harvest them and and a dog you know and once if, if once you get a dog trained and you learn to do some calling it changes duck hunting completely doesn't it it does that's sometimes that's that's the most uh enjoyable part of, of the hunt is, is working with your dog. So. And, and, you know, but but that being said, people who well maybe don't have it, you might still need a dog if you're jump shooting, but certainly you don't have to be a, a caller uh, jump shooting. A lot of people are just getting into the hunting. And One thing, I will make a comment about calling, and because we had um, Tim Grounds on, one of the world-famous callers, a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. and he said that people think they have to sound perfect. He said, trust me, the ducks don't sound perfect. <laughs> they, 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 they sound just like human beings with different voices and stuff, so don't be afraid to try some calling. Most people call too much is what they do a lot of times, though. But you have an opportunity up in that area for a lot of jump shooting, so you really can come up and not have to do any calling, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, what I would recommend is, if you want to come up and do some, <clears throat> excuse me, some jump shooting, I would bring a good pair of binoculars and, uh, you know, just, just work along the banks of, of these uh, rivers and, and glass, and you'll see those birds sitting on the rivers up and downstream and, and just work in and sneak in and shoot them. Um, you know, when you, when you jump them, it's exciting. I know people like to call them, but jump shooting can be, can be an awful lot of fun when those birds come busting out of the water so oh yeah i mean it's almost like uh like pheasant or dove or grouse hunting at that point you bet it really is a lot of fun um one of the things about your area too is that you get tremendous maybe the greatest variety of ducks in the state 
And early in the year, that that's not only thrilling and makes for great opportunities, but it does put a little onus on the hunters too, doesn't it? It it really does. Most of our birds uh, during this early season in North Park are in some stage of their eclipse plumage, and so they're a lot of times they're not real colored up at least early in the season. And you know we've got everything from Madwall or uh, Gadwall and Mallard, uh, Widgeon, Redhead, Scop. Gosh, golden eyes, ruddies, blue and green wing teal, uh, you name it. We've got a few buffle heads and some pintails, a few canvas backs. So it's really important to know how to identify those birds in flight on the wing. Um, you know, with overall shape characteristics, flight characteristics, um, size, because a lot of times when they fly by and they're not colored up, if if you don't know what you're looking at, it's really hard to tell. Right, and it's we don't want you shooting ducks that you're not supposed to be taking, and you need to learn that. If you have difficulty in the beginning, try to hunt with somebody who is a little more experienced and have them teach you how to recognize them, and there's so many good videos and stuff. And, you know, recognizing the ducks is also part of the fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's just a great way to get people into the outdoors, whether it's it's youth or maybe adults that, you know, want to want to start learning how to hunt but haven't had that opportunity, uh, boy, I encourage you to take take somebody hunting with you that, that has an interest in, because it's fast and it's, you know, there's always something to watch and something to look at, and, and they will enjoy it. Now, Colorado has probably as long of a waterfall season as anywhere. I think we figured out that there's some seasons starting somewhere in the state is in September, and they go through, I think, April with a conservation goose, at least March, if not April. So there's something. But up in your area, you probably get some freeze. Is it an early season hunting area? It really is. Um, I would recommend that if, if, you know, North Park is on your schedule for, for waterfowl hunting this year, I would I would try and get here during that first split because by the second split, most of the birds, if not all the birds, have left and everything's frozen up for the winter and, and we're kind of gearing up for ice fishing season at that point. Yeah, and with the with the water frozen, you're not going to get a lot of migratory birds stopping either. So No, sir. And, and you don't get many geese, so it's mostly a duck season in that first split. You know, that just sounds like just a great place to grab a fishing rod, do some hunting, do some fishing, spend a weekend up there. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Terry. I appreciate it. That's Josh Dilley from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about some elk hunting right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to go right to the phones and uh, joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and I'm going to butcher his last name because I forgot to ask him how to pronounce it. Rick Basagoyota? Gordia? <laughs> how, how close did I come, Rick? Oh, wait, not bad, but it's actually Basagoitia. Basagoitia. All right. I apologize. Usually I ask ahead of time because I like to get people's name right. But, you know, I get lazy sometimes and I forget. But anyway, we're glad to have you on. And we're going to talk some elk hunting in a certain part of the state. Before we even get into it, I think a little bit of under of people understanding, it wouldn't hurt to tell people that, you know, we have a manageable size elk herd in Colorado. We've actually reduced the elk herd in Colorado over the last few years because of habitat. And then in certain areas, 
what they can do to private property and damage. So hunting is the number one way to control those herd sizes, isn't it? Yes, that is true. And so, and that's a tool. I mean, is that your main tool for controlling the elk herds? It is typically just issuing licenses and uh, you know anticipating and, and affecting harvest is the primary means. Of course, you know we want to have the habitat capable to to produce and rear calves and uh, you know manage it from both ends, but primarily. Direct management is through hunting. Well, and and what can happen is a couple things can happen if it's not managed properly. Um, If you get too many animals for the habitat to support, you can get weakened and sick animals, and you can actually get a more dangerous result where you have loss of, of animals more than you would like. And then the other thing, and this kind of pertains to the areas we're going to talk about, if you get areas that don't get enough hunting pressure or the herds have kind of outsized the habitat a little bit, then they can start bleeding over into private land, whether it's ranches or farms, and they can do substantial damage. And you're you're going to talk to us about three game refuges down in the San Luis area that really this is where you use hunting to manage for both of those reasons, right? That is correct. And I can go into whatever amount of history you want, but uh, yeah. Why don't you give us a little of the background on those? Okay. So we have three refuges here in the San Luis Valley. Uh, the names of those refuges are the Monte Vista National Wildlife Refuge, the Alamosa National Wildlife Refuge, and the Baco National Wildlife Refuge. And those refuges are managed by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, so they're property that belong to the federal government managed by that federal agency. Fish and Wildlife is our federal counterpart, us being the state. Uh, we've had, because these refuges are on the valley floor, and they are refuges because they have significant wetland habitats on those properties and wetlands being the primary most important habitat type for all species of wildlife in the state of colorado uh, it does draw elk into them even if it's down on the valley floor and as you were saying before with regard to habitat if not managed properly or over time uh, the land and its habitats just goes through successional change. And you'll see that if you're out in the woods, you know, you pick any particular piece of ground, uh, you're going to see either something that's been recently disturbed and is starting over. So when I say disturbed, it can be anything from, you know, the soil's been disturbed uh, mechanically or even animals, feral hogs. They cause lots of problems because they disturb the soil significantly. And that resets the, the vegetation or the plant succession. Uh, that typically starts with uh, annual grasses and, and forbs, and then forbs out of the, in the wrong place are called weeds. Uh, and it, it progresses on that particular piece of land through what the soil type and moisture levels and sunshine and all those things combine to determine what plants can live on that piece of ground. So anything from, you know, the very early stages being annual grasses and and forbs all the way up to climax communities, which are trees. And then it'll start over. If you get a forest fire, uh, go through that area, it'll start over and start at that beginning stage or somewhere in between, depending upon the level of disturbance. So just a quick background on that. If uh, you have too many animals foraging on an area like that, that too is disturbance. 
And in a particular case, you could have so much grazing or browsing on those plants that they die off. So that piece of land can no, no longer support the number of animals that are there. So they have to go somewhere else. And if they have nowhere else to go to on public land, they go to private land. And on private land, they can find some significantly palatable forage. They love it. They're going to be there. So they're going to always look for the best forage that they can find. And that's what's happened on these refuges. And yeah, and uh, along with the ref- Mm-hmm. No, okay. good. I was saying then I was going to say, which has led to some substantial uh, damage to private property. So because of that, what you the background you gave us, um, once again, they're allowing hunting on these refuges. Tell us about the hunting opportunities on the three refuges. Yep. Well, for us, it's critically important to have hunting on those refuges because some very highly palatable forage next door on private land is alfalfa. So those elk want to go there then these refuges provide, in essence, a safety zone for these animals and can escape hunting. Uh, so that's one of, the, one of the tools that we can use on private land is if a hunting season is in place, you know, bring some hunters in there. Uh, if there's no hunting season going on and it's within the time frame that we can, we can issue distribution management licenses, what some people call game damage licenses, and be able to affect some harvest on these public land or private lands to reduce that damage. But what these elk do is they go seek uh, asylum on a refuge, and you can't touch them. Uh, so then they come in at night and raid the private land, which is a problem. So what we've done is worked with Fish and Wildlife Service to gain access for hunters to access those refuges during the same times that we have hunting seasons going on around those refuges. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of pressure on those refuges, hunting pressure, to balance those animals around and, and keep them in places where they're much more tolerable. You know, if they can go to some adjacent BLM or forest land, that's better than camping out on private property. Now let's talk about the three refuges. Two of them you have to draw. So if you're going to hunt two, you'd already know you're going, you'd have drawn that tag. Which two are those? The two that you have to draw a tag for, actually it's not a tag, it's an access permit. So as long as you have a license that's valid for the unit that those refuges are in, and then you just make a application for an access permit to get enter onto that refuge. And those two refuges are the Monta Vista Refuge and the Alamosa National Wildlife Refuge. And then the, the Monta Vista Refuge no, go ahead. is in Game Management Unit 80. So licenses for 80 are, you know, depending on the season, they're either valid in 80 or 80 and 81. You'd have to find that in the brochure. It'll show you. But as long as you have a license that's valid in that season or in that unit for that season, you're eligible to apply for an access permit for the Monte Vista Refuge. In uh, uh, the Alamosa Refuge, that's the management unit 83. So the same thing applies there. The drawing time for those is starting the day after leftover licenses go on sale. So that's already occurred for this year. And we get lots of applications, so the word is out. But those that want to try and get into that game, that's how you do it. And then there's one other refuge that's more open, is that right? Yes, the Baca Refuge in Up in Game Management Unit 82 is open to all hunters that have a license that is valid in Game Management Unit 82 for that season. Now, uh, it, go ahead. I'm go sorry. Ahead. I was just going to say there are some limitations there. It's a large refuge somewhere to the tune of 88,000 acres. It's very large. 
but it's limited more in its access points. There are five access points, five parking lots, and access onto the refuge is limited to foot and horseback. So once, uh, you know, it, it, those access points can become saturated with the number of hunters in there, uh, but it's a large area and there are plenty of places to, to go to hunt elk, but understand it's not an easy hunt. You're going to be walking through sand for sometimes many miles to get to the elk. Yeah, and that's the point I was going to get to because I didn't want to run out of time before we get to that. While these refuges can produce some very large animals and people think refuge, oh, they're probably not, they're not necessarily an easy hunt, but they can be an extremely rewarding one, right? Very much so. The Baca, especially in 82, is right next to the Great Sand Dunes National Monument, or National Park, sorry. And uh, it's basically a race. As soon as hunting season starts, elk push down to the refuge in the park. And there are some very large bulls in there, and several folks have harvested some large bulls, but it's not an easy hunt. Well, and, 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 and hunting overall, I made this comment to you, and then we're going to have to wrap this up, the fact that it's hunting. Sure. And conditions are going to be different. You should be out scouting where you're going to hunt right now. In fact, I'm sure Nate Zielinski is going to talk about that in the next segment. But we're not saying you shouldn't hunt if you can't get any preparation. But certainly set your expectations on how much preparation you do and then how hard you're willing to work once you get out there, right? Exactly. Elk hunting is not a sure thing, and it is some of the hardest work you'll ever do. But the, that's what makes it so rewarding. I mean, it's so yeah. much different than I came from the Midwest and did a lot of whitetail hunting, even some moose. It's such a different activity. But, boy, when you get involved in it and and you put in the time and do it right, if you do harvest that big bull, it's just it's just so worth it. Last comment, then sure, we got to sure let much. you go, Rick. Uh-huh. Last comment. Oh, I was just mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say along those same lines, yes. The hardest part in elk hunting is finding the elk, and you may have to cover many, many miles to do that. Uh, Rough country, it's not easy terrain, but once you do, slow down, hunt smart, and it can be very rewarding. Yeah, and you've just introduced some areas that I wasn't even aware of the hunting on the refuge. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. Great information. You're very welcome. All right, that's Rick from Colorado. We'll talk to you soon. Rick from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. I'm going to come back and get you up to date on what's going on around here on 104.3 The Fan. (laughs) Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You know, coming up next hour yet, we're going to have Nate Zielinski. I'm sure he's going to talk some elk hunting, what's going on. He's usually up in the mountains taking care of business, doing doing the scouting for us, helping out, right? And we'll get some fishing notes from him. Then after that, we're going to be joined by Hall of Fame angler, the host of Lake Commandos, Steve Panaz. And we're going to talk about some new baits that have hit the market and some new tackle, some new line. Uh, we've just so much new stuff has been introduced this year. And we're going to get, I haven't had a chance to fish with all of it yet. So I'm pulling in some of these top experts from around the country to help us talk about that and kind of get a handle on where we should be using it and where we should be looking forward to use it. And, and then after that, Ronnie Castiglione is going to teach us, talk to us about fishing the dropping water, which is going on everywhere right now. So we got a lot to cover. But I, as I mentioned earlier, if you do follow this show, follow us on Facebook. 
at uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. If in the last, uh, just the last week, and normally we only post about five or six times a week, but we posted more this last week because I was on a trip. We did some reports from fishing in Minnesota and some articles written by other people. We try not to overwhelm you, but we try to give you timely information. Like you would have known that last week Al Linder was on, and then you would have seen a replay of that on the Facebook page as a podcast. You'd know that Steve Panaz was coming on this week and what he was going to talk about. So you could kind of plan, you know, and if you see that and you can't listen live, everything we do is podcast. Go 104thefan, uh, 1043thefan.com. Go to the menu, go to my page, and you can go back several weeks. In fact, if you go to the search um, you can go back months, but you can certainly go back several weeks right from my page and get podcasts. You can get them either by segment or by hour of show. So there's a lot you can do there. And then my my column in the Denver Post, we put a link to that also on our Facebook page. And what we do is um, I go and find it appears in two or three different versions. You know, it, it appears in print. It appears on the app and it appears online. And a lot of times I have a lot of links to more information about the article and certainly a link to a podcast if there was one on the radio that's tied to it. And we're always sure those links come through in the version, the online version that we link to on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So it's the most, it's the best way to assure you get the entire information with that article if you're online, although you can get it in the other um other ways too. So, and in that addition, Karen will post, we have over a hundred shows on our YouTube channel, which is the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom. And every time Karen puts another show up, and these are legacy shows that she goes through and refreshes that were from our years of fishing, uh, filming mountain states, fishing and uh, angling adventures, television, you know, angling adventures was a travel show. We took it from the Arctic circle to the equator Uh, Mountain States Fishing was the regional show where everything was, we tried to keep it within about a day's drive of Denver, so you get a lot of regional stuff here. Every time Karen puts a new show up on our YouTube channel, she posts it on the Facebook page. We also run contests on our Facebook page. We do Terry's 20 Years of Trivia. That's going to be coming up here again pretty soon. We'll be giving away another gift certificate for hunting smoked salmon worth almost $100. That stuff is so good. And the answer to the trivia question that we'll ask on the air in the next few weeks will be on the Facebook page. We'll refer to it. So that's going to allow you to uh, you know, get a heads up and maybe uh, sneak in and win that honey smoked salmon. It is just really great stuff. We just recently had our ice fishing contest for a trip with Nate and I for two people. That winner has been drawn. And they've been contacted, I believe. We're waiting for the paperwork to be done because there's some paperwork that has to be done in conjunction with that. And as soon as that's done, we will announce that winner. I may have Sun come on the air and announce it. And that's going to be a fantastic trip. Nate and myself are going to take two anglers on a great ice fishing trip, probably in December. We'll schedule it according to ice conditions. And um, we're just going to have a lot of fun. We're going to catch some fish, I'm sure. At least I hope. I guess you never can guarantee fish, but I think we'll catch some fish. And then we're going to um, then then we're going to make sure that you get a lot of ice fishing knowledge. We'll be supplying all the gear and everything. So if you followed us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, you would have known about that contest. And you could have uh, been entered in it. Now, it's too late to enter for this year, but you never know what we're going to pull up out of our uh, out of that. So we got a lot coming up. 
We got uh, we get Nate Zelinsky on the line here very shortly, and uh, we're going to cover. But follow us on Facebook. That's how you stay in touch with this show. And by the way, there's a great article that Greg Claudio wrote for his newspaper column. And go read that. It's kind of humorous about things that have gone on over the year with myself and, of course, my wife and producer Karen filming some anecdotes that are really funny and a few quotes. It's just kind of an interesting read. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.